0: Watch out for that tree! In honor of this week's 25th anniversary of Blast from the Past, it's 1999, what's your favorite Brendan Fraser performance?
1: I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with the grizzled and handsome and yet sexually non-threatening Vietnam veteran who uh, talks to our girls in Now and Then.
2: I am Matt Patches, and having rewatched this recently, I'm going to go with Airheads. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, Brendan Fraser asked the eternal question, who'd win in a wrestling match? Lemmy or God? Katie, <laughs> do you know?
1: I don't know. I do not. Lemmy or God? Heck. Uh... I, I I need to know. Who, I literally don't even know who Lemmy is. I can't even. Lemmy is God,
2: Katie. Lemmy is uh, God.
1: See, I have I seen Airheads? I don't know if I've seen Airheads.
0: What a fantastic uh, Colorado-based story that was turned into the movie <laughs> Airheads of some dudes hijacking a radio station to play their heavy metal single. Uh, I'm David the Seven, and I'm going with David Kalaiki Ali'i in King of the Hill. That is the flyin' Hawaiian football player that Peggy hill flunks because he does not know math and everyone gets mad cuz it's king of the hill.
1: Oh, that's a casting that you wouldn't do today. Nope. A lot of Brandon. Although you I would have thought that you would not cast him in the whale and yet here we are. I, I, okay.
2: Is Brendan Fraser Hawaiian? I don't maybe. No, I he's don't, Canadian.
1: So. He's you can bam. You could be half Hawaiian and half Canadian. That's a thing. It (laughs) happens, I'm sure. Gentlemen,
0: you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and
2: plain and coming through fine.
0: I'm coming through fine too,
2: eh? Good. Then,
1: well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine.
0: Good. Well,
1: it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's it's Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 461. That is the week. Uh, hang on. I haven't said the week yet. It's the week of Wednesday, February 7th. And that is the day that in 1914, Charlie Chaplin debuted his silent film character, The Tramp, in Kid Auto Races at Venice.
2: Would you like yeah. to uh, Would you like to hear my impression of, of The Tramp?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Or The sure. Kid? Or what did you say? The tr- Tramp. The Tramp. Yeah. The yeah tramp. The tramp. Okay, here it is. Ready? spot wow. on wow thank you, Thanks.
1: stunning now do the great dictator years ago
2: okay here's the great dictator it's a little <laughs> wait here it is
1: is it the great dictator in sound i've never it, seen it that is. one
0: that was a trick question it has yeah, a very this famous is the quiet ending part. monologue yeah oh, like so the, quiet
2: it, the quiet oh. part quiet <laughs>
1: part i was trying to i didn't know if the ending monologue was the only sound part or what i guess i should see the great dictator maybe we will do a maybe i'll do silent films on this like a quarter quell sometimes i feel like that'd be fun let me write that down. Well, I'm rambling because David's not here, so someone's got to do the rambling. Um, <laughs> David, David's house has been struck by plague, as far as I can tell.
0: Oh, yeah. Without David here, we have to support a whole bunch of different sound cues. Like, here's here's an extra keyboard so I can just do this every once in a while.
1: I actually can't even hear yeah, it. Yeah,
2: doesn't it? Right? Yeah, it does your, not your microphone
1: is so good that I can't. hear that. <laughs>
0: here's, here's the thing that you only know if you edit fighting in the war room. Zoom <laughs> takes it out, it is on oh. everybody's tracks
1: oh you know
0: uh, unless we I put did... on zoom for uh, original sound for musicians that is a setting on zoom then you'll hear wow. all the clacks but uh, especially last week i was reminded uh that just because you don't hear david typing doesn't mean david's not typing
1: <laughs> i don't think i knew that zoom took out typing i'm gonna feel uh, more emboldened on meetings but never on this podcast i would never type on this podcast um dave is not here everyone in his house is sick so we're gonna soldier on without him but dave stepping up to the plate ready to go says that he'll read our reviews what a hero
0: that's right we have one app review and we have two emails i'll tell you where the email is in a second but first uh we love our reviews to have five stars we love them to be in the apple Podcasts app because that's the algorithm that needs the most gaming and this person uh darby act uh has done exactly what we asked for the subject of the review is amazing great film podcast and we got five stars for my 10th anniversary review of the podcast a wonderful show you should all listen to i present the idea of the fitware hall of fame these are the movies which have had a significant impact on the show as a whole define that as you will for this inaugural hall of fame class i present these 10 films Whoa, aqua aquaman Mm -hmm. carol Mm
1: -hmm. forgetting
0: sarah marshall Wow. Foxcatcher. Yep. The Lion King 2019. Lyle Lyle Crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> the Mummy 2017. Of course. The Road to Wellville.
1: And
0: Soul <laughs> Surfer. Um, men and- old and new. They continue in every Marvel movie prior to Avengers Endgame, but only if you want to watch them back to back in the same theater, or if you write a book about them after you are finished. To the amazing hosts. Please add or remove any films to the hall that you feel are correct. Also, thank you for a decade plus of this amazing show. You all and your many shows make my week so much better. Thank you for being you and sharing that with us. That's really nice.
1: That so are delightful. there films
2: missing from the Fighting in the War Room canon? Uh, this is I an would for 127 would Hours,
1: which we revisited because that's how the show started. True. um i have no memory of the lion king 2019 playing a role in this show what did i, I what am we were, i forgetting i think
2: we screamed a lot about it and just <laughs> went off the edge yelling about dung beetles rolling shitballs oh up yeah why, would this why exist? does why this so exist why does,
1: yeah that, this and i made a billion dollars about.
2: so we all shut up but maybe uh, we all kind we didn't, of we didn't
1: shut up <laughs> for sure we did not I don't remember
2: You realize we're getting a sequel to this movie this year about Mufasa, directed by Barry Jenkins.
1: Yeah. I like like uh the
2: plot.
0: I like the plot description of the sequel because it's about Mufasa and another lion that they name. And they're like, these two lions go on an adventure to figure out who's going to inherit the pride. I'm like, just say that it's fucking Scar and we're going to see how he gets the scar. Like, I hate.
2: Oh, is that? Uh, That's your assumption. That has not been leaked or revealed. Correct, but
0: um, would I rather it be a, another lion we've never heard about and was never referenced in any Lion King media? No, it's Scar. I just... Yeah. Uh,
2: anyway. Do you think his name will be Scar and no. he gets a scar, or do you think he'll have a name and then he'll get a scar and just be like, just call me Scar?
0: Yeah, he'll mm. have a name and
2: abandon it to become the Scar. Be like, no why? Hans, because he's still Hans hanging Solo out kind of at thing. Pride Rock, like a normal... I mean, why would he change his name getting a scar?
1: Well, he like gets the scar, and he's like, "I'm shedding my old identity. I'm Darth Vader now," kind of thing, yeah. right? Yeah, but he yeah. doesn't
2: turn bad because everyone still thinks he's good in the Lion King.
1: Oh, this is a good point. I mean, I think it's, he's not, just... it's not like
2: he, this is his. Uh, but he already has origin, his own like separate lair
1: hanging out with the hyenas, like in you what, know. No, he has in a clubhouse.
0: What, in what layer like of Elk's nature lodge. are there two uh, like leaders of the pride, both male, and they're fine with each other? That just that doesn't make any sense to me. Even if he's still at Pride Rock. He's been knocked down a peg through the assumed events of Mufasa, the Lion King. Anyway, doesn't matter. We'll yell about that movie in December. Uh, but it's in December
1: for... is not out in the summer.
0: I think it's in December. I think they're, going they're pushing on? it for a holiday
2: movie, Avatar, Star Wars slot, because there's really no movies on the calendar. There are so few movies on uh, Disney's release calendar this year that uh, in the last twenty-four hours uh, before recording this. They announced they're they're turning a Moana TV show into a Moana movie. Why mm-hmm. not just slam not it gonna... all together, make it shorter, and put it in theaters where we can take our kids eighteen times over the holidays.
1: It's got real uh, Lion King two and a half. No, which one was the half? Did Lion King well, have a two and a half? Lion
2: King one and a half is pretty fun, actually. Okay. <laughs> it's <laughs> got is, real I, Lion
1: King one and a half energy. I hope uh, it, however, that would be
2: I, that would be a great bar to clear. I
1: right. will see Moana two. Oh
2: Absolutely. yeah. But without songs from Lin-Manuel Miranda, he's not back.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't That's not, not great. I mean, I, I'm interested more than in the live-action Moana that they also say they're making. Can
2: I can I tell you, right now on the calendar, 2020, November 2024, Moana 2. 2025 on the Disney release calendar? Just Moana, because mm-hmm. that's what they're calling the live-action version. They're going to yeah. put out a Moana movie this year, and then a Moana movie next year with The Rock in it. Mm-hmm. What's going on?
1: This isn't. This won't be confusing at all. Uh, we're I still. Mean, we're...
2: <laughs> I have a family member who's very into Moana, who I'm, I
0: imagine is thrilled right now. Uh, he is uh, five, and it is for him. And uh, the many times mm-hmm. his parents will be paying for that content, uh, but he's on my Disney Plus, so I'll get to see him stream uh, Moana two over and over again. Uh, we also have some emails. You can email us at fitwr.podcast@gmail.com. at gmail this one, the person didn't sign a name, so I will just read what's here and not dox them in case they didn't want to. Hi, as many of your listeners, I've been around for a long time, enjoying your episodes and dreading the times when there's no reviews and also the keyboard sounds coming from David's mic. Ha ha. ha. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, but really, this is not why I write. Yesterday, I saw the movie Simone as a Venezuelan immigrant in Spain. I live in Madrid since 2009. I went to see this Venezuelan movie, but did not have many expectations. I used to write in a national newspaper in my country about movies and some of them were very bad. But after last night and the dreams that followed and opening up my eyes this morning only to see the protagonist's face and the intense memory of the last scene, I thought I should write to tell you to try and see it if you can. It is a story of migration, of losing your roots and trying to hold on, of the feeling of community and the need to fight versus the very real fear for your life of trauma, of not knowing what, what's next of trying to start again, of facing a very real defeat and how to move on from that. It's impressive for a first movie, very well acted and not at all propaganda as it could seem. It is a very personal and based on real life events uh, told by several survivors story and a very universal one. I hope you see it and like it. I love your podcast. A big hug from Madrid. So that's Simone. It's spelled like Simon with an accent over
2: an O in case you... So not S one M O N.
1: That was
0: absolutely my one. first thought, which Andrew is N- Andrew Nichols' fine film. <laughs> yeah, you were you were like you listened to that and you are like, yes, she is still describing Sim one. No, this sounds. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want to check it out. I have no idea how to find it, but now it'll be on my inf- radar.
1: So, there was something that said it was on Netflix, but I think that might not be in the United States because I am not finding it
0: here. Ooh, we might have to VPN it a while, but that's that's fine with me. Hey, fine with me. Thank you for writing in. Love recommendations. Here's our next email. This is a reply to an email we read uh, last week called Monarch. Uh, Jeff writes in, Hi Dave, I just have to say I heard the pod preaching my letter, and while deeply embarrassed by hearing my words read aloud, I may have had a drink or two and forgotten the exact tenor and content of what I wrote. I really appreciated your response. While I still don't think I like Monarch, I understand why you do and can appreciate the dumb a bit more. Keep on keeping on. That is in response to the first season a monarch, a legacy of monsters. Listen to last week's episode to hear me explain why dumb things are fun, especially when they have Godzilla in them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, love those emails, love those reviews. Fitwr at gmail or in the Apple Podcast app. Leave them there, and we'll read them on the show. Otherwise, I get to talk about mobile games, and David Ehrlich gets to talk while I or type while I talk. He gets to type
1: while you talk. Yeah, that happens. And no matter what. Uh, The year is young and I often don't rewatch movies because I get to this time of year and I have to, you know, catch up on the Oscar nominees I haven't seen yet. There's a bunch of screeners for spring TV. So I've been trying to watch new stuff. And yet I have seen The Greatest Night in Pop twice already, (laughs) (laughs) much to my surprise. Is it just a feel
0: good, feel good hit for you?
1: It yeah well so I I watched it when it was at Sundance on the virtual platform which was kind of silly because I knew it was coming to Netflix shortly after and then last weekend I was visiting my father in law and you know after the kids go to bed we're trying to think of what to do and my father in law God bless him was just like oh yeah Anatomy of a Fall I rented that and I was blown away rented. he really liked he liked it yeah he's on iTunes he rented it and liked it never would have guessed um but thinking of something that could be like good to sit down with my husband and my father in law after the kids went to bed. Greatest Night in Pop was right there waiting for us. Um, it is the story of the making of We Are the World, uh, which I guess on some part of my brain I knew had been recorded like over a late night session sometime in really? Hollywood. I, You know, I knew that all those people were in one room. I'd seen the video before. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not produced by Lionel Richie, but has like every feel of a Lionel Richie uh, created thing. He's like a primary talking head. He was one of the big creative forces behind it. He along helped with- write it.
0: He did. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, okay.
1: And yeah, with Quincy Jones, and um, he wrote it with uh, Michael Jackson. Quincy Jones was um, kind of the master behind Lionel. that. And Lionel, Lionel, he heard <laughs> you, he heard you singing. He came out to say hello. <laughs> that would be uh, Michael. How about that would a snake. Be Lionel Richie's impression of Michael Jackson talking about his <laughs> snake. Um, I don't, I don't think that I have a lot of eighties nostalgia, and I still don't. And yet, I was completely enraptured by this movie both times that I managed to watch it. It is. Incredible fly on the wall footage of them recording the song, which is like on some level, like wow, we all got to watch it when Daryl Hall sang into that microphone, and then also hilarious, like Bob Dylan standing in the middle of the bleachers, looking like he knows he's made a gigantic mistake and wishes uh, <laughs> he could be Dylan anywhere else.
2: Did not have a good time no. making this song <laughs>
1: until Stevie Wonder did. did an impression of him, and then Bob he did Dylan rock, was okay. Yeah, he did
2: rock his <laughs> solo. Yeah, I mean, when the time um, finally came.
1: Yeah, I just like I don't care that much about '80s music, and I and, like ate up every single second of this both times that I watched it. And um, I imagine and it's a very you guys...
2: straightforward. I mean, to your point about it, like entertaining almost anyone, it's so no. straightforward. It's kind of what we often gripe about on this podcast, a little, which is like this is a Talking Heads documentary. It's very much like an oral history, I would sure. say, as a as a movie. Uh, they're very lucky that they set up tons of cameras and lights for, to shoot promotional footage of this thing. They knew it would uh, have a purpose in well, the future. Well, that's why it's not
1: an oral history, though, is because it's got this incredible archival footage, which makes it more than Cindy Lauper being like, wow, it was really crazy being there. You see young Cindy Lauper, like, jingling her necklaces in the microphone. Like, that's what <laughs> right, makes it but good. But this is
2: not get back. Right? This is not mm-hmm. just like... uh. uh Planting yourself in the creative sure. process, this is very precise talking heads, moving the ball forward as we chronicle like these these highlight moments. there's jokes in the movie that are very specifically edited together. I, I find that the form of the movie to be resemble more of an oral history um, sure and even the cutaways to the footage are like being complemented by like I'm going to tell you the story and then you're going to see the perfect footage. then sure. I'm going to tell you this story and then you're going see the, see it uh, or see someone perform. As opposed to like get, I thought about Get Back a bunch. Where I'm like, wow, this this was so stunning because we're lucky that this footage exists. It's been restored. It's kind of being played, uh, w- you know, without too much manipulation at times. And like we're watching the creative process, and it, and and it cooks right. Like we get it slow cooks. Whereas this is the as you described, they assembled the group. The only way they could get all these famous people. and There are just so many famous people. That's what's astonishing. It's really crazy. Like, Michael Mm -hmm. Jackson, Lionel Richie, obviously, then Stevie Wonder shows up. Diana Ross, Tina Turner, Bruce Springsteen, Hugh Lewis, Cyndi Lauper, like Dan Aykroyd, Smokey Uh, Robinson,
1: (laughs) Ray Charles. (laughs) There's just so many people. (laughs) It's crazy. Um,
2: And to do it, they they recorded this, and this is what I didn't know anything about that the number one, the American Music Awards were so huge. Uh, in 1985, that everyone would have come to the event like Prince was there and then blew off the we are the world, which is <laughs> he was great. down the um, street
1: at Carlos and Charlie's, the like yeah. cruise ship parting. destination bar.
2: But like they must have gotten out of this award show around t- 10 and they're sure. all going to the studio and recording this song until like 6 a.m. They do it yeah. overnight. Yeah. They do it overnight. Uh, yeah. And and one of the most genius parts of um of the film is like cutting back to the clock which i assume they shot and inserted in i i can't imagine there was a camera rolling. there's a lot
1: of close-ups footage. and inserts that seem to be pretty clearly yeah. like recreated with beta tape to make it and look. and that's like okay from... yeah that's fine
2: um but uh, yeah and you feel the ticking clock and it's just it's exhilarating uh and it's very funny and it's very moving to see it all come together is this a good song though
1: no what? and is and did it serve any real purpose did it make that money i don't have even been know compli- what well, i think at the end they're like it has made 80 million dollars and you're like you're telling me those people couldn't have just given, given. 80 million dollars to yeah. uh uh ethiopian famine relief efforts and ben fi that the, the silliness of the song is something that no one's really willing to acknowledge which is fine um but it is funny when it gets to the, the end of it first you're first like scene. that was it
2: they get Bruce Springsteen for a Talking head interview. It's interesting who they got for this. Yeah. They got Springsteen, Cyndi Lauper, Lano Ritchie. Really is carrying us through the whole movie. Who else? Yeah. In, that's kind of the most notable people. Yeah, um, uh, one of the Talking
1: Heads, the guy who was a camera operator oh, a very boys, young, um, is my uh, my friend's dad. I was at uh, I saw dance with him at a wedding. Ken Wu was uh, a camera operator on We Are the World. Oh, no, is he
2: the the guy who was there really young? And then the yeah. he's like, all right, I'm ready to file my invoice, and he's <laughs> exactly. and they tell him no, this is for uh, yep. charity. Did you hear?
1: Uh, yeah, he's great. Um, but yeah, no, Huey Lewis is great actually. I think he might be the person in the, this whole thing. I came up being like, what a guy, Huey Lewis. you was <laughs> so, he's so terrified like, to say my
0: solo was supposed to be for Prince, and Prince didn't show up, <laughs> but so I just did Huey Lewis, and at some point. I realized they were stopping while they were recording other people's solos. And I was like, "Can you just let him finish so he get to me so I could practice. <laughs> what a, what a time. Yeah. Yeah. I, this one, I sort of, uh, second screened it, uh, after about like half of the documentary because it takes a second to get started before we're actually, uh, in there. But then after that, um, I really enjoyed like all the individual little stories about personalities, like from, I mean, Stevie Wonder, not only imitating Bob Dylan, but trying to, like, jam some Swahili into it and how that sort of, like, pissed everybody off. part <laughs> is
1: so funny because someone says in the background, like, I don't think they speak Swahili in Ethiopia, Stevie. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, yeah, who cares?
2: Yeah. yeah. And then somebody walks off. I forget. Yeah. Which, Waylon, like, Jennings said, Waylon Jennings said, no yeah. good old like... boy
1: ever sang in Swahili. And, like, I guess that doesn't make him look great. But, like, I don't know. It, it also but wouldn't I, have been good I would a good also
2: look. want it to have left uh, when... <laughs> I mean, I was telling you guys before the podcast, I've been directing this play of elementary, elementary schoolers, a school play. And uh, it reminded me a lot, actually, of The Greatest Night <laughs> in Pop and how you have a lot of people who are in their own bubbles and you're trying to get them to pay attention <laughs> for two seconds. And Matt see, Patches and then, is wrote, check your ego at the door, but they yeah, can't read. So. And then some kid will come up and be like, can I walk backwards in this? scene?" It's like, no, can we please <laughs> just get this done? Can we just do it? And uh, these are the biggest, most famous stars in the whole planet at this time. And and it's still, like, wrangling children in the studios. They say in the documentary that, you know, none of the agents or none of the the management was there in the room. It was just the talent. And it never happens. And they were so electrified by each other. Like, at the end, people are asking for autographs and from each other, which I'm like, oh, you're making money off this. Everyone's getting their, like. Sheet music signed by each other. Okay, you're going to put this up for auction and like wow, what a years, cynic. but that's okay. I am a total cynic, but um, I think they were truly impressed by each other and just like what the magnitude of the of the moment and for it to be kind of unfiltered in that way, where it's like, oh, here's famous people who can't sing in key or they have to figure out harmonies on the fly, as you said. Like the Huey Lewis stuff was really. Uh, moving to me because it's so scary <laughs> that he yeah. has to like come in after everyone and do a good job, and he's not sure he can, and he doesn't necessarily get it right the first time. So much pressure, uh, and so he, like all of these titans of the industry are kind of reduced to real artists, real people, um, schmucks uh, a little bit. Uh, and it's 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 fascinating to see. Yeah, as you said, like the footage is.
0: Yeah, amazing.
2: My- I I also thought like seeing Michael Jackson. You know, we've gone uh, so far in the arc of that man and the way we talk about him. But I don't know. I haven't really just seen him perform.
1: Yeah, mm. and like, heard
2: him talk and be creative. And this man clearly is like has a split personality. I think I, that was my one takeaway. This that that he is probably like deeply dealing with with autism in his life where he can completely be in one zone making amazing music and then in the other one just be like infantile arrested development like totally ruined by his family and just <laughs> like there's so much that i was thinking about with michael jackson and the way his brain must work and operate to be such a pure creative at certain times um and in this movie we get that it's like pretty astonishing to see him That's- so hyper focused and so like coming up with these lyrics on the fly, coming up with the music on the fly—it's astonishing.
1: That sequence of him singing the chorus a cappella before everybody else shows up is really lovely. Um, they, they just the movie kind of pauses for a minute just to kind of revel in. Yeah, his they're voice like everyone's there.
2: at the American Music Awards except Michael Jackson, who's <laughs> actually really committed to who's doing a good job in with this, this studio. <laughs> yeah, he's doing
0: it. Um, uh, my favorite part was they all sort of thank Harry Belafonte for kicking oh my it God. off, but they all yeah. sing "Deo" just uh-huh. spontaneously. Yeah. And uh, that was one where I just stopped the movie, rewound it, and watched it again because yeah. I was just like, fuck yeah. That's and Harry- what I love about this documentary is those little <laughs> things that I didn't know happened and they
2: got all of it.
1: Yeah. And Harry Belafonte standing in the back with Dan Aykroyd.
2: Yep. You so, know,
1: because of the just
2: 80s. was there. I mean, the, the <laughs> booker, I was reading uh, an interview uh, with uh, the director. His name is Bal Nugan. Um, Nguyen and Nguyen. uh, Nguyen. Nguyen, Nguyen. Um, and uh, this is our colleague Mike Ryan up at Uproxx. And they said that there was a whole chunk of the movie that cut out that was about Dan Aykroyd being recruited, um, and that it had to do with like Blues Brothers being having a number one album, and like he was such a part of pop culture that, of course, he would have been there in the movie. They just have the booker be like, and I wanted Dan Aykroyd, yeah, <laughs> and he's there. So you don't really get a lot of I've always found it fascinating that like Bette Midler made more sense to me. Being kind of removed from the pop culture moment of 1985. Uh she's a singer. But Aykroyd, not as much. But I guess Blues Brothers was a big enough like cultural yeah. phenomenon. He knew uh, Ray Charles, he's in Blues Brothers, so maybe there's a connection.
0: Weren't the sure. Blues Brothers like actually doing gigs around that time? Like the movie yeah. came out and then
2: they would show up and they would do performances.
0: That seems right. Uh but yeah, no, I think I think this is really pleasant. I don't know what the point of I'm supposed to get out of it is outside of just having a great time watching a documentary, you know, like uh, it's not uh, about
2: it, anything yeah, right, right,
0: it made some money and that sounds good, and yes, everybody probably could have donated that money, and we don't Make gigantic songs about Africa anymore with like whoever the fuck Billy Eilish and Skrillex coming together. Maybe so the knowledge like, that moment. Africa
1: contains multiple countries that um have different cultures that's something we might have accomplished mm-hmm. since the eighties. Also, yeah,
0: but, yeah, but hopefully we'll we'll see how it goes. But yeah, what a fun documentary to just pop on. Uh, I love I love Katie that you got to watch it with your in laws. That seems like the perfect watch it watch for- it
1: with the boomer or older Gen Xer in your life uh, and be surprised by how much you enjoy it.
0: Yeah, and uh, constantly be like, I was six. Just say that in the middle of the movie.
1: (laughs) I was six months old, I think. I mean, if you were six when it came out, you're a Gen Xer.
0: Oh, I was six months old. It's a better joke my first time around.
2: For our mini segment, I just want to dip into something that just seems like so huge that it's impossible to talk about. And I'm I'm curious, especially Dave, what, what you think about this as someone who...
1: You're not curious about my opinion on Fortnite?
2: I'm especially curious about Dave, but I am also <laughs> curious about your opinion here. It does have to do with Fortnite, kind of. It's this week in all of the... Kerfuffle was mentioned. Disney is just like trying to figure out what to do, make a bunch of sequels. They're going to make a Moana 2. They're going to make a... Zootopia too. They're just I mean, gonna shit a bunch of stuff I, out.
0: I know why this is happening, which is
2: they're... The plan that hits Bob Iger. He promised that they'd go back to the Well there's, uh, a, prox-
0: there's a proxy there's a
2: proxy board
0: there's a proxy war going on to try to get force yeah. more board members onto Bob Iger. And so far Bob Iger has addressed every concern they brought up, and there's like a gap right now where technically the proxy war is happening and they might try to force some board member seats, but if you don't air any grievances with or if every grievance you air with Disney is immediately countered by a Bob Iger plan, he's less likely to have to deal with, uh, you know, rogue Borg seats, uh, board seats, Borg. I wish it was a Borg. <laughs> <It> was rogue <laughs> no. Borgs. Rogue wow. Borgs. But yeah, so now Disney's trying to tell us that they have a plan as fast as possible so they don't get have a shake up on the board. But yeah, I ahead. mean.
2: And one thing they've never figured out, Disney, is is video games. I mean, they've dabbled. They have, like, Club Penguin, and they acquired Maker, and they've had LucasArts, kind of, and they've, uh, you know, licensed their stuff out. Kingdom Hearts exists, and the, and the Spider-Man game is technically, as they were remind, reminding people today, is a licensed win for them. Um, but they've never been good at video games, and when you think about what they do have, Marvel, Star Wars, uh, the Disney animation, Pixar, uh I guess Avatar which is big occasionally and good in the parks. They don't have video games. Tron ain't going to cut it even though we are. They are shooting Tron 3 right now. Are we mm-hmm. all happy about that? It's not on their schedule, are the schedule but we're getting Tron 3 with Who's... Gemma Chan.
1: Are any of the people from Tron Legacy in it?
2: Jared Leto's no. back, right? Jared Leto is not in it. Oh, okay. You're thinking uh, of Killian Murphy teased at the end as the the future villain, but he's he's not back. Jared Leto is in it? Gemma Chan's in it, which means David's actually going to love uh, Tron 3. It's going to be really exciting for all of us. Um...
1: Hang on. are <laughs> We're stuck on Tron 3?
2: <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm happy to be
1: Are here. you telling me Ke- Killian Murphy is in Tron Legacy?
2: Yes. yes. At the end. It's called Stay for the Post Credit. No, it's not even a post credits. I think Nothing. it's the final not scene. It's like at the end. Anyway, you got, now you have my to watch all My primary memory Tron Legacy of
1: Tron Legacy is Comic-Con promotions and not the movie itself.
2: <laughs> so here's what happened. I, this is my very <laughs> long-winded lead up to say that Disney is investing $1.5 billion into Epic Games, the company that makes Fortnite. And not just that, they make the Unreal Engine, which mm-hmm. if you are which powers geek, the volume. Which powers the volume where they shoot Mandalorian. It powers a lot of the footage and uh, visuals at the parks. So, like, there's a lot of reason they would invest in this company. But I think Fortnite, if you've been following the evolution there, it's like it's not a game. It's not one game. It's an entire ecosystem. There are many. There's a Fortnite Lego. There's like racing games now. It's a. It's like Roblox. Now I'm just gonna make Katie's mind melt. It's like a whole (laughs) platform. It's no longer just. A game, um, which Dave still plays. Apparently, we can we sidetrack. You still play Fortnite?
0: Yeah, I don't pay you for like, the battle pass anymore, but yeah, oh. I mean, like I, uh, so you got your Deadpool avatar, or whatever, running around. Oh, I definitely save up on my V bucks to get Marvel skins because back in 2020, when we were all in a pandemic, I'm like, I'm gonna have all the Marvel skins. That clashed with me not buying, uh, the battle pass because I'm missing my spider gwen skin that was a battle pass exclusive but i do have uh, mostly other marvel skins but yeah um a couple of months ago fortnite did something called fortnite og where they rolled back to their original map for a couple of months and that that lured me back i was like yeah i remember that that i remember like 2019 getting into this for the first time and so that was nice on nostalgia factor they launched a new season that new season katie means i could not only toggle in between like solo or squads in the Fortnite Battle Royale, but I could toggle into Lego Fortnite, which pays a lot more like Minecraft, uh, or the car version, which is sort of like Rocket League, or they have a uh, you know, sort of like Guitar Hero Rhythm game in another world. But I launch one app, I have access to all three of those games. I can use my skins in any part of that game. So I have enjoyed playing uh the weekend as a xenomorph in various random bands. but <laughs> um, <laughs> And I, you know, there's still some sort of uh, fun in that. But patches—they're gonna expand that to Disney specifically. It appears.
2: Yeah. Now, this. Let's get into the wild speculation part. Which, like, why does Disney invest 1.5 billion dollars into Epic Games? I think part of it is they've never figured out video games, and they need a reliable partner here. But it seems like it's be maybe even beyond games. I feel like our conversation about the metaverse has really cooled, and that VR is not a thing, and that the meta. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg's meta plans have just completely faded out and everyone's building Apple Vision Pro AR goggles. And this is the future of like looking at screens on top of your screens. Um, But here we are, Disney throwing one and a half billion dollars at Epic to what I would imagine is like build a theme park in Fortnite to Mm -hmm. have Disney World, Disneyland and Disney Virtual for you to go to whenever you want. Uh, but is it, this is what I don't fully understand because I'm not playing Fortnite. I'm not part of this ecosystem anymore, Dave, That like, is that where it's going? Is this like the play that like they can build the platform for Disney to go fully virtual and have whatever Disney mini games and, and rides and all sorts of whatever, uh, digital space built for them in Fortnite?
0: I don't know if they're going to do rides. I think it's smart to buy out 10% of Epic games because that does give you access to unreal engine and the development of whatever unreal Engine's going to do both in the theme park space and in the movie space. I think that's ultimately more important, like in terms of, uh, anywhere from independent to the biggest possible fucking movies, uh, you could do some amazing stuff with unreal engine and filmmaking these days. So I think that will help. Um, I think a lot of, uh, their design in the ways they've been able to make money on Fortnite so far, Disney sees as an easy way to plug their IP into that like they have before. The Fortnite uh, Marvel season was very financially successful for Epic. The Every time they bring back the Star Wars characters, uh, that is very financially uh, beneficial and it plugs uh, engagement. And while all these other companies are out, you know, selling like NFTs or digital experiences, Fortnite, you could just uh, buy your favorite character skin, jump into it, and then jump into all these game modes. So the way that all of us, I imagine, had like uh, Disney sing-along VHSs or something like that, that can now be in Fortnite. You could like slide up to a screen and play a rhythm game or a sing-along and be part of like that. If your kid wants to see reruns of like movies or cartoons, it'd be very easy for them to make a corner of this world where you could actually just watch things in the virtual world. Which sounds dumb, but they've done entire movies in Fortnite already, and entire live show concerts uh, that have mixed that. I think yeah, there's and also the
2: advantage to Epic in that way would be like, oh, kids, there's a a clear on ramp for you now to be part of this yeah. ecosystem forever. Like, are mm, you can't run around shooting us. people with guns uh when you're eight but maybe you can go to disney virtual land and play your fun games and katie would you ever buy your family a virtual headset you think you'd go there
1: we have used i had i had one like during the pandemic i like access like virtual south by um and so the kids play with it at some point but like it was like heavy and weird um i don't know i don't know if i'm opposed to it like on principle it doesn't seem important or essential
2: just asking. It's going to be let, let your kids wear a helmet.
1: Uh, it, would I, let my kid, I let them wear a helmet while riding scooters. Um, yeah. and, like the immersion in Zelda has been so enjoyable for all of mm. us. I mean, I don't know if I would like at this age, I certainly wouldn't want my kids like playing a game that I can't see. Like I would want to be able to like watch over their shoulder. Sure. I, mean, I would imagine a lot of parents would feel the same way.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what this world offers in terms of like an experience uh what it offers in terms of like purchasing so uh apple and epic are still all together mixed up um about the way that the in-game purchasing works because there were ways to get v bucks which is the in-game currency by going around apple stores and just loading them onto your account and apple didn't like that so it'll be interesting to see because even in the teaser They talked about, like, some sort of shopping element is going to be part of whatever Disney and Fortnite are putting together, or Disney and Epic are putting together. So it'll be interesting to see, um, how they deal with that currency. I think there's a, there's a big advantage, uh, that Fortnite has, which is, um, kids are, have sort of conceptualized V-Bucks as real money, but also not really. Uh, Like, if you go on, like, you know, Fortnite, Reddit, or every once in a while, there's like, every once in a while, like, three times a month, there's somebody that's like, help my kid bought, like, $50 worth of (laughs) V-Bucks. Like, can I get it refunded? And, you know, so I, it'll be interesting to see how much they're able to, yeah, buy out your children. Disney's an expert (laughs) at buying out your children, Mm -hmm. and now they've extended into Fortnite, another expert at buying out your children. It'll be interesting to see what age group actually comes to this uh, but i'm I'm curious it's the future
2: man yeah.
1: We We are going to wrap up the episode by talking about a new children's film on Netflix written (laughs) by Charlie Kaufman, which was all that I knew before I put on Orion and the Dark. It is based on a book that I knew nothing of. Um, I don't even think I realized it was a DreamWorks joint that somehow went straight to Netflix. I'm honestly really not sure about how that situation works. I felt like we had to learn that putting kids movies in theaters makes money. Um, but Netflix is still going for it. Um, Leo was direct to Netflix last year. It was excellent. And this movie starts off kind of Leo vibes. It's about a kid who's in fifth grade at school and is kind of like sharing all of his fears. And then it gets really wild. And then it gets even wilder than that. It is the story about a kid who goes <laughs> on an adventure with Dark, which he is afraid of. And Dark introduces him to all of the other figures of nighttime who um, make things possible like sweet dreams and sleep and unexpected noises. And if you're getting unexplained noises, Oh, unexplained noises, excuse me. Uh, (laughs) It's maybe a good thing that David is not here so that we don't have to bring up inside out and send him into a rage uh, (laughs) again, because I think that happened last week. Um, But then it takes another twist and you get the story being told by an older version of this kid character to his daughter. And, Things kind of layer on top of that, which I think makes this more interesting than you maybe think it's going to be in the first fifteen minutes, but also kind of chaotic. And you get to the end of it, and you're like, "Oh, I didn't land anywhere that I thought I was going to." Which it, is a
2: it is really authentically a Charlie Kaufman movie. I yeah, think that's what was surprised. That me, is, I
1: mean, I'm, I'm interested to hear because I feel like that it is that in some levels, and then it also feels broad and generic in other ways. That um. Don't have it has splashes
2: touch. of of generic DreamWorks, like when there's pop songs playing during flying a, fl- a flaming lip song. years <laughs> old, <for laughs> just like I don't. What's going on in this part? I don't understand the creative decision where this movie had to get dramatically boring. But like from the very beginning, we get this character Orion, who is a, just a complete neurotic mess. In the like, it's almost like adaptation. He's walking around being like. Am I gonna get punched by the bully? Am I gonna get like? Am I gonna forget to apologize to the bully? Am I gonna? Am I gonna go home? And my parents are going to have moved away, and they'll never be home. But there's no reason to think they would. He is right? extremely
0: or- scared of the ocean, which I thought we were going to deal with. But it is just something in the first quarter of the movie that he keeps bringing up how fucking scared of the ocean he is. This is this is such a weird movie. <laughs> Did either of you manage to watch it with your kids?
1: Uh, I watched. 30 minutes of it with Charlie, who uh, I did not think was going to, because he's been watching Harry Potter movies, I didn't think he'd be able to get him to do it. And I like described it to him and he immediately was like, okay. And he watched it and absorbed everything. But I, I got no feedback from him whatsoever. Oh, he, didn't like, he seemed nothing. to like it.
0: Charlie keeps resisting being on fighting in the war room. I I kind of respect him for that. He's just like, what? I just want to watch a movie and I have opinions about it.
1: If I can get him to finish it, A, and then B, he'll probably record a voice memo. He doesn't like having to talk to people on He should write us an email. He can write us an email. Uh, I'll try try to get some answers here.
0: I want to hear what Charlie gets by the end of this movie out of this movie. uh, Because there is a very basic bitch... Uh learning to overcome your fear of the dark by personifying those things and realizing that there's a balanced nature and a place for all things. Get it, love it. All the Charlie Kaufman meta levels, by the time we get to the end, I'm like, does this make a satisfying conclusion if you don't have the experience of aging into a story like Orion had gets to eventually? Mm-hmm. Uh well, like, is how necessary is that to? deconstructing what this movie is actually doing.
1: Yeah, because the note that it ends on is really nothing to do with the, like, kid messages of overcoming your fears, and it's about, like, generational storytelling, which I found, like, that the ending really surprised yeah. me and I found very moving, but it doesn't really have anything to do with what came before it.
2: Well, it does in that the story itself is kind of generic in that the Orion part of the story is almost, like, completed halfway through or or... It's more confrontational about um, how we tell those stories and how these movies are made. I actually thought a lot about uh, the never ending story, the movie mm. uh, during this, where we obviously have the fantasy tale that's happening in the book that he is reading. Atreyu. And, and then he... No, but what is the boy who's reading the story?
0: Oh, right. He did... Uh, I don't know. That's, have to look that but up. he does have that a kid, lot to do.
2: Moppet headed mm. kid. Uh, in a bookshop reading. Um, and then he comes; he becomes part of the story, right? He ends up in Fantasia and uh, becomes making big decisions, and um, how he gets sucked into the story and what storytelling means to him, and and overcoming the sh- the the feelings that he had that he shared with Atreyu, the the hero. Like this stuff happens. This the layers pile up here to say something more about how we hear these stories and how we take maybe generic stories and, and apply them to ourselves or shake them up in our imaginations and how things don't we don't have to kind of settle for the dreamworks version mm. of this mm. story and continue to complicate it i mean we should talk kind of spoilers here at some point because yeah, we i'd love to get into exactly where this goes as you mentioned we meet the older orion who's telling his daughter this story and it really his daughter is, is very active you know, participant in where the story goes. And that's what I'm getting at with the, never she has story notes. Stuff. She has notes that he has to She's take a lot of notes. And then it goes somehow like eight more leaps uh, in a strange direction. But uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I first off, I just, I didn't find the like, Orion part of this movie to be that generic either. I thought the animation was, was quite beautiful. And like the textures of, of the dark mm. character played by Paul Walter Hauser. And just like, he looks fabric-y, um and all the other like weird nighttime characters I don't know they have personality they I like uh, what's her name from what we do in the shadows she's in the movie uh, you know who I'm talking about no uh, uh, <laughs>
1: Natasha Dimitriou. yeah
2: she's really I find her hilarious but yeah that stuff is engaging for just the amount of time that Hoffman and the director here Sean Charmat's like lets it play. And it is not the whole movie, and it can't be. Um, but where it t- starts to twist, I don't know. I'm still into it. And I think the visuals are cool. You, you, you're you frowning at the animation, Dave. Yeah, it's <laughs> not a frowning fan. at the animation.
1: <laughs> the animation I, is fine.
0: This movie is just like, what if we took the Pixar advancements in animation and squished it with the Muppets? And that is as far as the character designs went for me. I do agree, dark, there are some scenes where Dark looks great. There are also scenes where they want dark to be more obscured and they do that through, uh, transparency. They do it through making his like cloak, uh, look sort of like fuzzy, but that sort of distorts the line. Or then sometimes they just literally paint out of focus parts of him to make it work. It is not the inside out specific coding to have the appearance of a line Uh, but never actually have a hard line because it's a whole bunch of like floating particles. That's a very specific piece of animation programming that Orion in the dark, instead of using that, they're using different methods to get around for it. So when it's really working, he's interacting with Muppets. That works for me. All those designs, I've seen Muppet versions of those designs, especially things like Dark and Sleep, and they work for a reason. Don't fuck with it. But the times that they're, trying to be uh stuff like in and out um really showed for me. it was like i I would have almost liked them to like do something a little bit different like if he's dark and he's supposed to be like coming out of the dark and becoming corporeal like maybe give him like you know some dark that's escaping from his borders so he doesn't have hard lines, not necessarily just oh we made a fuzzy texture that we put over it so there's I'm not saying this movie looks bad. there's some great looking stuff in the movie. I just saw the techniques they were using, and I'm like, if you can't get there, do something else. That would be my advice to people uh, designing, going after a specific look that they don't technologically uh, have all set up. But uh, let's ring the gong, because there's more interesting things to talk about with this movie than uh, just how it looks. So here we go. (laughs) Gong on. This movie was interesting for me as a person without children in how much because the base story is about orion and being told by an adult orion how obviously there's some sort of conclusion for whatever issue that he was dealing with but at some point he allows his daughter to be as trapped in the story as he is as a young person Mm. assuming someone's going to save them down the line so the generational storytelling thing is when this movie really clicked for me and having some interesting ideas. Uh, Dark versus Light, I kind of saw where that was going. They make him like friends with Dark and chubby with Dark so fast that even uh, Orion's daughter is like, well, what if he's still afraid though? And they're like, oh yeah, what if he's still afraid? And so we get to like do it again. So some of those uh, contortions seemed kind of obvious to me. But then what it all means at the end. When originally he's telling the story to sort of help his daughter overcome a fear of the dark, she catches on immediately. So his response is to just let her to pull herself into the story. And then she gets trapped there. And I was like, this is all much more interesting. I kind (laughs) of wish I knew what we were doing earlier. So you felt like
1: he had like, let her be trapped. Like, I, I, I never thought of like the adult Orion having agency in that part of it. Like, it's just like a fun kid adventure.
0: Well, yeah, but kid adventures have real stakes because the kids are living in, like, this fantasy world, and what starts as her dad telling a story. She's like, I'm going to take some agency in this, and that agency traps her character in the story because she isn't going in to fix her dad. She's going in to have her own experience, and that doesn't resolve cleanly because she's made it, like, a real story. It's not a fairy tale anymore. Right,
2: but it's also now her story like at some yes. point the movie is orion telling his daughter the story and then as we learn later at some point the story is his daughter telling far in the future telling her son tycho
0: yes the story
2: and then yes. there's an uh, like a a blurred line in like who's telling what and how and who's changing the rules because it's their story now and right. talking to someone new and when Orion and sees Tycho at the end in. of
0: the movie, he's like, Tycho, I haven't seen you in a while, and then I'm like, Yeah, we've handed off. Um which I think is great because they the the responsibility of ending a story I think is a fantastic thing to pass down. Uh, yeah. not necessarily, you know, passing down the same story or anything like that, or any sort of like weird feeling about like there's my family has a magical story that makes you not afraid of the dark. Like, all that's bullshit. But the idea that a bedtime story that's supposed to be either informative yeah. or just go the fuck to sleep um, becomes this thing that needs to be passed down because otherwise the, you kind of get trapped in your own story yeah. uh, was fantastic to me.
1: Yeah, it's really lovely. It's worth lovely. sharing. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I thought it was so sweet. It's a
1: it, it ends so me a little well. Weepy. But yeah, I, I just yeah, it feels like it just does it. all the like goofy like night and day stuff. You're just like, why do we do all that stuff when you had this kind of waiting to to unleash yeah. at the very
0: end? Why do you have Orion at the beginning of the movie and then a character called Insomnia? Like, why are those two two characters in the same movie? That is too much of one flavor of thing. Yeah, then, because
2: why? I think it is talking about in True Kaufman way that this is like synecdoche new york or something then it is about all of storytelling right that it is about from myth to bedtime to intergenerational passing down to your directly to your kids i get it it's just a little biting off a lot and it still has to be like partially a generic dreamworks movie uh in in the middle um but it has that Kaufman flavor it definitely twists and turns and and has the neuroses for it. Maybe uh, it needed
0: I, to clown around a little bit more with the DreamWorks part in the middle. Because yeah, uh, unexplained noises and insomnia are weird character beats to have in this particular story.
2: Here's Center where Mid- I thought the movie was making fun of DreamWorks. There's a, a mi- scene in the middle where there's like a dream sequence happening that Orion is starting to realize that when he he can manipulate the powers mm-hmm. of all these different entities and, and the dreams of people are getting screwed up and there's like a talking cat thrown around and i thought mm-hmm. that this was the moment where coffin's like oh it's a kid's movie gotta have a talk cat gotta blah, have blah, a, talk blah, to a cat. I'm that the talking cat and then it's like oh what if there's a killer cucumber yeah sure <laughs> like, yeah but that
1: feels so a lot stupid. like what happens in inside out actually i don't, like i did, didn't feel like enough i mean the, the part that made me think of i'm thinking of many things was the verner herzog documentary that night Good. Uh, that actually, projects, that actually by Werner I, <laughs> I can't believe it, because like a Werner Herzog impression is something that it just like is everywhere in culture. And it's so easy to get someone to do a Werner Herzog impression.
0: <laughs> Good for you, Werner Herzog. Uh, yeah, I'm glad he's got a sense of humor about his uh, yeah. his narration. Uh, yeah, tone. there's like
1: that and an infinite jest joke very close together where you're just like, OK, <laughs> uh, yeah. I see. I see who yes. you're playing this for. I don't think we
0: have time for David Froster Wallace tonight. No, I uh, laughed. Yeah,
1: yeah, I love uh, it too.
0: I really like this movie. There's just thirty minutes in the middle. I don't know why it's there.
1: Yeah, kind of thirty mucky minutes, and that's exactly how I would put it. Leo's still oh. better. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah, Leo. We didn't
2: really talk about Leo. You're really in on Leo.
1: Yeah. Oh, Charlie loved Leo. That was his favorite movie oh of my last God. year. Um. Wow. Yeah. His his he did his top ten on a episode of Blake he Check. Did um, his Top ten. I know. I'm sorry that... Uh, blank check your gets son Charlie? They asked, a... for, his, they asked for his top ten check. and he recorded a voice memo. That's uh, That's how we do it. That's what I'm saying. I'll get his review of Orion via voice memo next week.
2: We um, don't want it. A uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's banned from the podcast.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, he loved Leo. Because Leo is very... like. Real, like, there's just not that many kids' movies that are, you know, it's about a talking iguana, but it's about like kids in fifth grade who have like problems about like being nervous in school and having bullies. And I, I to have something that feels relatable for a seven year old, I think is a really interesting balance to strike. And it's just funny, like, there's just silly stuff that goes on and on and at the same time. And it's got songs. Did you know Leo's a musical?
2: I've heard it's good. <laughs> um, I didn't wow. know the
1: word had gotten out so far.
2: Word is out, it has <laughs> songs. Danler uh, sings.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll see if um Charlie thinks that Orion is better than Leo, but I'm gonna bet Leo I'll stays be on shot. top.
0: I'm just interested in what he thinks in general because like this is a perfectly fine movie for me to watch as an adult. I got something out of it, but ultimately I feel like I got more out of it because I'm an adult. Yeah, and maybe that squishy thirty minutes in the middle plays like gangbusters to somebody who doesn't see the Charlie Kaufman coming
1: yeah the uh, only, the only we got up to the flaming lips montage i'm remembering that's as far as we got so all the like the weird twisty stuff is yet to come
0: yeah i'm excited to hear about it uh because i can recommend this movie is like another another one on this episode this is like a fun watch on netflix yeah uh but I, I i don't know if it in order for it to be like a great animated movie it needs to give something to the kids it's for as well as making me think about it at the end
1: yeah oh the last thing i was going to say is i feel like the character design reminded me of mitchell's versus the machines is that not a thought that you had like those big eyes with the I'm little totally with you. together people's uh the rest yeah, of the animation the doesn't really look like is it.
2: still rubbing off on this it's like there's a lot of 2d 3d mixture there's a lot of like illustrated here's what i'm thinking i'm imagining it as notebook yep noodles yep. like it feels very indebted to Millers vs. Machines and Spider-Verse a little bit but like man those guys have had such an effect on everyone. Everyone is chasing Lord and Miller right now and I'm I, over it I guess oh, is, ooh,
0: is my well, feeling Actually, Happy ooh. 10th anniversary to the Lego movie. We used to think it was fine then they fucked up a Han Solo movie and went on to make the most profitable Spider-Man
2: movies yeah, ever wait, what? Fuck I, them.
1: I, yeah hang on I miss where we where we turn on uh, A the Lego uh, movie and just, B Lord Miller uh, yeah, I never be, really be liked
2: the Lego Movie, but I don't hate Lord and Miller at all. I okay. like their their movies good. Everyone's chasing them bad.
0: <laughs> Clone High's back on Max. What this is, this is this. Have is you slander. watched the Clone
2: High revival?
0: No, I'm saving it. Don't. It's all there. My, don't.
1: My hot take Ooh. is that Lego Movie Two is deeply underrated. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I've said this on this podcast before, but
2: that has a, t- a cat in it, right? Where...
1: Uh, it's got Unikitty, the cat. like Lego unikitty, cat. There we go. Oh um, yeah, Unikitty. Yeah, that was a real pandemic viewing. Like we watched Lego Movie two a lot <laughs> during the pandemic, <laughs> and it uh, which means we
2: really can't trust your. That's true. That it's amazing. I really
1: wonder what would. I didn't say it was amazing. As that was underrated. Wow, this movie I
2: watched a hundred times. It has not been fairly. <laughs> I mean, valued like, by the rest of the it, world.
1: Encanto like has enough bad associations that I would have trouble rewatching it. I feel like I want to revisit. And I don't know. As we come up on four years since the pandemic, maybe we uh, right. revisit our pandemic viewing, or maybe we never do. <laughs> To I, mean, I
0: watched palm springs again recently and that was that was super fun did it not yeah. just
1: bring back all the existential dread uh, that you were feeling at that time when did the existential dread go away katie <laughs> good
0: question good question. i just felt i felt normal and i had a laugh uh orion in the dark it's on netflix right now uh check it out see if we're weirdos show it to your kids
1: That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week talking about uh, topic TBD, I guess, because I mentioned what we agreed to watch, and Pat just said, what?! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so. You know, the only
2: reason I said what is really because I'm so excited for Madam Web. We have I want to wait on to Madam Web. We have to do two weeks of podcast. When we record next Madam week, Webb.
1: you guys will have seen Madam Web, but I will have not. And you will just I'm, have to I'm hold not, I'm not. I'm your singing horse. it with the people. Okay. Don't worry, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, how many people? It'll just be me. <laughs> yeah.
2: I'm seeing it with the web heads. Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah. Send uh, out the web signal. We're going to build up two weeks of anticipation for Madam Web. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are.
2: The gentle Webmans uh will be <laughs> attending. Um I'm Matt Patches, executive editor of Polygon.com. I'm on Blue Sky, which I guess everyone can join now. Great. Get over here. Leave X. Uh I'm on Letterboxd at all at Mr. Patches. And we have a website, fighting in the dot com, where you can listen to old episodes. I bet we've done almost Char- every Charlie Kaufman movie since uh, no not adaptation that's a long time ago what are his other movies you think we reviewed synecdoche new york i feel like uh, we what reviewed about a Anomal- new york
1: probably an, oh no we did a quarterfile in synecdoche new york i remember Ooh. you picking that go or... back and watch them i wish that. i could remember what the topic we about definitely did was. anomalisa
2: on the podcast
1: you don't
0: have
2: to remember fightingintheworm.com yeah. our listeners can do the work
0: there we go yeah there's a search bar i love that uh <laughs> if you also want to support the show you can leave us a review on the Apple Podcasts app. You can also email us at at gmail.com. I'm Dave Gonzalez, Spell my first name, D-A-7-E. That's my handle on the blue sky, on the Twitter, and uh, on Letterboxd, should you care about that for whatever reason. Um, and also, hey, if you like talking about movies, arguing about movies, check out the Trial by Content podcast, where this year, or this week, in honor of both, Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein turning 50, we are debating the best Mel Brooks directed movie.
1: Uh, I'm Katie Rich. I'm trying to remember which quarter quail we talked about Signet. In New York, on um, and it was not on our uh, movies that we want to show our children quarter well. So that's a really mm. for a second. I did think Matt Patches might have chosen that. Um, you can find me at Vanity Fair on the Little Gold Men podcast where we're talking about Oscar season. It's still happening, believe it or not. The Oscar nominees luncheon is next week. It's going to be fun. Um, you can find me on Still on X, you know, and on Blue Sky and on Letterboxd at Katie Rich K A T E Y R I C H. We are on Twitter and Blue Sky at FITWR where um, you can tell me if you would show your children Synecdoche, New York, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was. In honor of this week's 25th anniversary of Blast from the Past, what is your favorite
0: Brendan Fraser movie?
1: Thanks for listening and we'll be back talking to you next week.
2: I'm done.